Hey everybody, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me as always are Vince and Zach, and we are going to be walking you through this week's DC Rebirth titles. We have uh, lots of spoilers to talk about, so if you are uh, behind on comics and you don't want to be spoiled, turn away now, pause it, and come listen to it in a little while. So, let's jump right into Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye number two from Young Animal, written by Gerard Way and John Rivera, illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. Um, what'd you guys think of the second issue of Cave Carson? It was a little bit more conventional than than the first issue was, uh, by no, but by no means was the quality uh, any less. I just think, you know, now you got into the more conventional sort of fight scene type stuff, um, whereas the pacing of the first issue was a little bit slower, a little bit more deliberate, um, but, but, but still really good. Zach? Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, probably not my least, it's probably like my least favorite issue of a young animal comic so far again, but I, I think this one is kind of like settling at the bottom of my list, but, but yeah, it was still a lot of fun. Um, just, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's hard to like say. I I don't have anything bad to say about the book because it's not a bad book. You know you know what I mean. It's all like, yeah. Relatively, it falls in a weird place though for me. Yeah, I mean, la- last time we talked about this, we talked about how funny the book was and 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 how much heart it had, and um, there's still humor in it, but but it's not as standout as as the first issue. You telling me wild dog saying what's up shitheads? Well, <laughs> well, that was that was the funniest part. Of the whole well, thing. blowing people's brains off wasn't wasn't good enough for you. Yeah, no, that was great. That was great. I'm just saying it's like a, you know, that first issue stood out for for how much humor there was, and I just think this one was, um, that those moments were a little bit more spread out, whereas I feel like the first issue was packed with them. If, if you guys remember, I I thought that the first issue of Cave Carson was my favorite of all the first issues of Young Animal so far. And and now I would be more with Zach where I'm saying the second issue is probably behind all the second. We haven't seen Mother Panic's second issue yet, but the other ones, number two probably sits behind them now. But you know that this is just still an incredibly strong line. <coughs> um, See, I I I disagree. I love this issue. Really? Yeah. I um. One of the things I've been doing with the Young Animal stuff is. I've been rereading the issue directly before it, before I read it, because I, I feel like with, with a lot of the DC, with the Rebirth stuff, I am I know those stories, I don't want to say by heart at this point, but you know, a lot of them are continuing on these arcs, and I, I have just a good, kind of a better idea of where everything falls, and the Young Animal stuff, although I really enjoy it, I'm just not as invested in it storyline-wise yet, so I've been rereading the issue before it, just to give me a... Uh, a better like contextual experience while reading it. And I didn't notice much drop off between the two issues actually. Mm. And part of that could just be that I just, you know, that this has, I mean, I, I think the wild dog stuff is really great. 
I love sort of the the espionage super spy thing with the guy with his bathing suit, the the, the pen with the guy's bathing suit coming down. You know, um, I just thought all of that was incredibly strong. I I think Michael Avon Oming has never been better than he is on the series. I'll agree with that, like wholeheartedly. You know, I I really enjoyed it. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not, you guys aren't saying it's a terrible comic. We're not going to argue over this, you know, but I, I think it's incredibly strong. I'm really, really enjoying it. And and what it's nice is I think if you, if you kind of had to paint Young Animal with like a broad brush right now, Doom Patrol is the one that feels the most boundary pushing of all the comics so far. Cave Carson is the most traditional in terms of its structure. Mother Panic feels like a weird, like alternate cousin to DC, and Shade feels like old school Vertigo. Yeah. yeah. But they all still feel like they're part of the same line. It's a it's a really cool trick they're pulling off. Yeah. And I I'm agree. glad all four exist. I, I think, like, mostly what this comes down to is, like, these are all, like, four really, really good books, and so the differentiating factors for the three of us are going to be kind of, like, our own genre preferences. Yeah. So, whereas this, you know, kind of leans more, um, like, spy, thriller, um, versus, you know, the more, like, superhero-esque Mother Panic or the whatever you want to call Doom Patrol, um, <laughs> So, yeah, I think that's maybe where that comes down to because, yeah, I, I agree that this book is still better than, you know, at least like 95% of the 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 normal DC line, I would say. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Sure. I wonder how long they're going to let the line just be four books. Yeah, it's – if if I'm DC, I'm tempted to – sort of force more of them out into the world. And I would only hope that, you know, they would continue to have the same careful hand that they had in, in letting Gerard way sort of, uh, set these four into motion, you know? Yeah. I could see one or two of these. And I think though the two would probably be shade and doom patrol being the, the kind of constants of the line uh-huh. and seeing cave and mother panic, maybe being like 12 issue series. And then something else coming in and replacing it. Sure. Which I'd be fine with. I mean, I, I like both those books, but, you know, I'd be cool with that, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're also pulling this, right? Oh, we're definitely. all pulling it. And we got to talk about superpowers in the back. Oh, Tom man. Scully. Oh, man. So that one page. The Captain Marvel Jr. slash Who's Who page? Yes. That's yeah. the best. Oh, that's the best thing. <laughs> that's the best thing in DC since Rebirth launched. First of uh, all, have you seen? Did you guys read the digital version of this, um, or the I, print copy? I read the the, the print. Co- I guess the PDF. No, no, I, okay, the digital version. You can totally see they blocked out Captain Marvel when. Oh yeah, yeah, so you can yeah. see Marvel underneath it. Yeah, but I think that's intentional. I think it is too, and that's so brilliant. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, they're just letting. <coughs> and like they're they're shining you know they're letting them be self-deprecating almost you know yeah like because it's not the first time they've used they used captain marvel for multiversity too yeah um 
so I think it's it's clear why they're calling Shazam Shazam, you know. But like, I like that they can still refer. Like, it's not some like we are never going to use that name again, right? You know. Yeah, that was great. And then the Wonder Twins stuff it is, it's <laughs> weird, but I'm really enjoying it. I especially like the Gleek page. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shield is just like left next level talent. He is, and he just doesn't let any. I mean, he marches to the beat of his own drum, and and they're letting him do it. So, what can you say? Yeah. I also like how the um, the panels for the Captain Marvel Junior page almost make a lightning bolt, like in its shape. Mm-hmm. It's just a very clever. Everything about this is just so good. I um I hope that they collect all this stuff eventually. All of his superpower stuff. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but yes, pulling that hard. Um, up next we're gonna talk about Batman number eleven, written by Tom like. King, illustrated by Michael Janine, Jan, and I never know how to pronounce that name. Um, yeah, Janine. Janine. I don't know. And uh, this is part three of the I Am Suicide um, arc. <laughs> Boy, do I wish. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is, first of all, is there anything more annoying than... Punch and Julie? Th- they're pretty bad, but of Selena and Bruce calling each other cat and bat? Uh, that wasn't even... Oh man, I hated the intro to this. I hate everything about this. The dialogue is like, it's like subtle Bendis. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know? Yeah. They're like, no, no, enough. (laughs) And they're like, 237 dead. That's my favorite uh, emo band, Subtle Bendis. 237 Dead is my favorite emo band. Uh, that's, a, that's like a hardcore band. I guess. 237 Dead. Um, but yeah, uh, this there's like this annoying, supposed to be clever, supposed to be cute, tete-a-tete between the two of them, dialogue-wise, and it's just so bad. Yeah. Yeah, the way that... The, the way that... The way that, like, one of them says something in in one inflection or tense... And then the other one says the exact same thing, but in like a different, with a slightly different meaning to it, you know? Do you know how I read this sequence? I read um, it like it's some. Under your head? Well, yeah. <laughs> I it was in my mouth, actually. But uh, no, that. Th- waiting to die. If, <laughs> if somebody's only experience with Batman. Okay, let's, let's set the scene, okay? Someone's hired by DC to write a grim and gritty Batman comic. But their only experience with Batman is the Adam West TV series. Because they're talking almost like how Adam West would talk as Batman. Oh, man. It's just bad. What if that was... Because, okay, so Rebirth is supposed to take things that we like about the characters and put them... And, you know, the essential things and put them into the core of the characters. What if between this and, like... Batgirl over in Batgirl solving mysteries in a very Adam Westian style. 
What if there was an edict by DC that said, like, you have to include some element of cheesy 60s Batman in this, but also make it Snyder's Batman? <laughs> that's too weird. I know. I, I also don't think that's true, but I, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, but Punch and Julie can fuck right off. <laughs> they suck. They do. Now, here's my question. Is this all being set up that Selena is actually doing what Bruce wants? Probably. I don't know. Because that, that seems like the lazy way out of this and exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So who is suicide? I am. <laughs> I will be if this keeps up. At least the art looks really nice. The art looks fantastic. This is a bad comic, guys. Yeah, it's bad. I think I think people are starting to catch on too. <laughs> what what makes you say that, stuff. Zach? I've just <laughs> seen I've just seen some reviews of of the last few issues that are kind of like people are scratching their heads and 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 are asking similar questions to the ones we've been asking. Uh huh. It's so this issue right now is sitting at a seven and a half on oh, the Jesus. comic book roundup. Oh man, which is that, which is a good bit lower than the averages of the previous issues. Right, that's that's practically a condemnation. Yeah, yeah. The last issue had a seven point four. So, um, I, mean, I I would kill for a seven point four Tom King Batman book. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I have to say, I, I'm. I'm somebody who do, who does not like having hot takes. I feel like I, I'm I'm never somebody who's trying to to rile with what I say about comics, and I hated this book from the first issue. You guys can attest to that, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that it wasn't something that I was proven wrong about. That I was like, oh, I was just trying to be controversial by saying how bad it was. No, this book's been that bad since the beginning, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we were early adopters to thinking this is shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. do, do you guys think, talking again about like the essential versions of the characters, mm-hmm. do you think that, that this is just a concerted effort to make Selina into more of an anti-hero or an actual villain than she has been in a few years? I, I mean, is there anything heroic about her at all here? No, well, no, except if what happens is this was all some sort of ruse again, some sort of triple cross to get her back on Batman's side and actually do the do the right thing in the end, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, you know, that aside, no, there's not. Um, but, of course, this is comics and, and uh, you know, anything can happen. But Which, you know what? If they're going to do that, I think that's fine. Frankly... It became less and less realistic that Batman and Catwoman would think that they couldn't have a relationship, you know? Yeah. So if they if they if they took, um, and I'm not saying it's the way that he's doing it is well written or good at all because this book does stink, but but we're bat we're Catwoman to return to a status quo where she's where it's more dangerous that she and Batman would be together. Um, I think that's better for her character. Maybe I don't know. I re- I really like the 
the the where she became like head of the mafia too. So I, I was <laughs> yeah. gonna say that was the best Catwoman in a decade. Yeah. Yep, you're right. So I don't know. If it wasn't for us having to talk about this, I'd be trashing this book, pulping it. Well, we are pulping it. Yeah, but I'd be actually like I'd buy a pulper. Oh, and uh, you know, <laughs> you'd be uh, Peter Stormare from Fargo, and you'd be like <laughs> exactly just throwing these in and like gleefully laughing. And... Yep. yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wash that unpleasantness out of our mouth with Superman number eleven, written by uh, Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson, illustrated by Patrick Leeson. The uh, the Super Sons Part Two, or whatever. It's world's smallest, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the name of the Father, world's smallest part two. Uh, this was just delightful. Oh, you guys, so fun. The, yeah, there's so much to like about this. You know, um, I, I mean, I mean, how how well does do Tomasi and Gleason get Damien and Jonathan and for Jonathan, think about how short of a time it took for them to just fully draw up this character. You know, I mean, to they, be to be totally fair, Dan Jurgens didn't Dick. give him too much. Like he was sort of a blank slate when they got him. Yeah, I thought I I thought for a second there you were going to give Jurgens the credit, but <laughs> oh no, no, he didn't do anything with the character. No, he was fine in the, in Lois and Clark, but he wasn't. He didn't really have anything to do. It was, yeah. He yeah. had to find out his dad was Superman. Right. Right. You know what I love about this book, though? Like, <clears throat> I love that they brought Bruce in, and he's, Bruce is not just a gruff asshole, either. Like, like, towards the end of this book, Bruce actually talks about how, like, proud they should be, and how proud their parents probably would be, and and... Like he actually speaks as if he wants to them to work together, which is something that, again, we hadn't seen in a while. Like Bruce has been such a loner when we when we all know that he's not really that, right? Yeah, yeah. It seems like he he understands the value of their relationship. Yeah. Um, I also think that. Like giving them a series of tests they have to beat is like the most Silver Age thing you can imagine. Yeah, yeah there's been a lot of Silver Agey stuff going on throughout Rebirth, but with like, mo- you know, it's like hidden in modern aesthetics. Right. Yeah. Well, and especially in this book, um, you know, like the this stuff, and then the um the monster island thing in the previous arc having crypto as a part of it uh-huh then like upcoming soon we're gonna have like the the multiverse arc so yeah there are a lot of things this is a super fun book just no it's a super sun's all... book oh you're right you're right zing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh i love all the little touches though like i love the um the the like names for all the tasks that uh-huh. are like you know kids rhymes or whatever London Bridge is falling down ring around the rosy yeah just like small little touches like that and I just also love that um, 
Tomasi and Gleason are bringing in Batman and Robin and Robin, son of Batman. Um, yeah. Stuff. And that Alfred's not an impossible prick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. How very interesting, sir. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, pulling this as hard as possible. Yeah, it's um I mean I I I've had this as number one. I mean it's it's between this and Deathstroke for the best book of DC Rebirth if you ask me. Imagine if before the creative teams were announced if you told yourself that. <laughs> like the two best books of Rebirth are going to be Superman and Deathstroke. <laughs> and the worst book of of Rebirth is going to be written by Tom King. <laughs> I feel like we say that every other week. I feel like we I feel like we're so flummoxed by this that we constantly tell ourselves that. Yeah. Yeah, we're never going to comprehend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. It's like the anti life equation. If we ever did like, <laughs> it, we would Yeah. Anyway, big big poll for this. Yeah. Um they're they're knocking it out of the park. Uh, speaking of books that are in contention for the best in Rebirth, we have Nightwing number nine, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by the great Marcio Takara. Um, we get a uh, team up between Superman and Nightwing, the the pre Flashpoint Superman and the Fifty Two Nightwing, um, and we go inside his brain into like the dream world. And I thought this issue was a ton of fun. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, this is probably. I think I like this even more than Superman this week. Vince. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, if if Superman or Deathstroke are like the most the best books, Nightwing's not far behind, and this this issue in particular is one of the strongest issues out of any that we've seen in Rebirth. I just think it's it. It represents so many things that DC had lost over the years, you know? It represents this idea that you can have a one-off story. It represents this idea that you can play around with different versions of the characters, the characters' histories. You can revisit them. You can change them uh, without having to make a big event out of it. Um, you, You can just go and revisit that stuff. It's open. The door is open for that. Um, it represents a lost relationship between Dick and Clark. Yeah. You know, which <laughs> the one thing you could argue is that it's still pretty shitty that they have to be like, well, you're the, you're the old Superman and I'm the new, I'm Dick from this world. But, but I feel like our relationship is, can be pretty similar, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, it's the, uh, the beer fest thing. Just call me landfill. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but just I wearing a cowboy hat. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I just want to read this. To me, this is like this is the success of Rebirth in one panel. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to. This is what Superman says to Dick at the end. In fact, everyone I've met here, you're the least changed from the version I knew. Always confident, always kind, always cool. Dick Grayson, the multiversal constant. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I loved it. And I also wondered, like, with that, how much of that, like, is that just, you know, Seely making a comment on on Dick, something that we've, like, acknowledged before, or is that, you know, setting up for something greater down the line? 
Yeah, some sort of hint yeah. at the... That's interesting you bring that up, Zach, because at the very start of the issue, when Superman first shows up, he almost makes you think that they're going to explore something significant regarding what happened to the lost years of the DCU or whatever's going on with with Rebirth and the whole Watchmen thing. Whatever. He almost makes you think he's going to explore that, and then they kind of pivot away from it, and they talk about it without actually talking about it. Yeah. Which I think was a strong story choice for a standalone issue like this. But it did make me think, you know, hey, is this going to actually have repercussions down the road? Or was that just a way to sort of acknowledge it but escape from it for a little bit? Yeah. I want to say I think Marcio Takara did a great job here. And look how much better the Titans costumes look <laughs> when not drawn by Brett Booth. Even Arsenal's stupid fucking trucker hat and ski goggles look yeah. halfway passable. Well, trucker hats are in now, so... What is this, 2002? Trucker hats are in? Well, a lot of people are wearing them. Yeah, a lot of, uh... <laughs> I'm gonna leave it, leave it alone. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> um, but yeah. I wish Takara did more DC work. Yeah, is he doing anything regular right now anywhere, or is it just... Uh, I don't believe so. He's just kind of bouncing. I mean, I feel like he shows up on an issue every now and again. Yeah. At different companies. He did that great OGN that was kickstarted with Brian Q. Miller, Earthbound, or Earthward? It's called Earthward, actually. It was like a super fun sci-fi story. Uh, I have a print from that someplace here, too, because it came with my Kickstarter. Uh, rewards, but yeah, excellent. Really worth checking out. Nightwing, uh, again, the hardest of pulls. All right, that brings us to what did I put next? Trinity number three, written by Francis Manipal, illustrated by Clay Man. Um, Clay Man illustrated this one, isn't that his name? Clay Man. <laughs> That was a joke, Brad. I know, but is it? Is it, is it getting it wrong? Yeah. yeah no, right, it's right. Clay Man. It's Clay Man. Okay. Yeah. But Clay Man is. Yeah. Just these days. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I I think that man, you know, I wasn't sure how man's art style would mix with Francis Manipal's for the first couple issues, but I think it it works reasonably well here. It looks nice. It's a little bit yeah. overwrought. Yeah, it, it, it looks nice. Zach, what do you think of this book? Um, so, yeah, like pretty much like we predicted, we're going to get like, you know, one hero-centric issues for a little bit, and then we'll probably wrap up the story arc. I think this one at least goes through issue six. Um, so from like a story like plot standpoint it's pretty disappointing i think after what we got in the first issue which we all loved um artistically i mean man is really good um like this is really good art and any other time i would be like all in on it i think but it's just like such a hard follow-up to Manipul, who just kind of, like, really set the tone for this book, you know? And, you know, he does some of the things that Manipul does. Like, he has that, there's that double-page spread where Bruce is, um, 
you see him on the left with his parents dead, and you see him on the right, and uh, Clark and Diana are with him, and the the panel is built around the uh, the bat logo. Like that's a very Manipal thing to do. Yeah, I feel like this. There was still a sort of kinship, but to trying to make the book, you know, he he was trying to make the book look like Manipal makes the book, if not, if not in his in his pencils in his layouts. Yeah, uh, but but overall, I think that this is not a great comic. Yeah, guys, I don't like this book. <laughs> I love Trinity number one. I don't like Trinity the comic. Um, it's just uh, this is this is reductive of me to say, but like you see the the Mark of Zorro or the Mask of Zorro or mm-hmm. whatever movie they're at. And it's just like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, just stop. Just please stop. Like, don't. Whose idea was this? And then like he's taught. He's like, but but some of the details were wrong, you know. And it's like that, like uh, Harley Quinn or who you're, what, someone you're supposed to think is Harley Quinn. He calls like, her Doctor Quinzel. Right, right, right. Um, is his therapist, and like that's clearly what they mean by the details being wrong. Like we're not going to find out that Harleen Quinzel was actually his uh, therapist. But, you know, it's it's just supposed to be this, like, incorrect detail that somebody put there for some reason. And it's just, like, it's not going to mean anything. It's not saying anything about... It's not saying anything about his origin that hasn't been said before. There is nothing left to be said about his origin. No, I mean... I, I've said this before, and I know it's reductive. I think if you took out Joe Chill and the words Crime Alley, pearls hitting the ground, and that they were at a Zora movie, my mother could describe the origin of Batman as well as I can. And she's <laughs> never read a Batman comic. She couldn't say, like, the pearls at the floor, but she could say, oh, Bruce Wayne and his parents were, like, mugged and his parents were shot in an alley. Yeah, right. If she knows it, we don't have to go over it anymore. <laughs> like it's done, right. and I I know I know that that they would argue that that's not what they're doing, but but still, there's no there's nobody <laughs> there's nobody I want to even see from an artistic standpoint depict that anymore. Uh, I'd see I'd see Tom Scioli <laughs> do it in uh, in Superpowers. Does he do it in some <laughs> fucked up bizarre way? Yeah, yeah, only if he cut some big wet jokey fart during the middle of it yeah. or something. You know, like. I, it's just it's enough is enough, you know. I'm sorry, but get me get me past this arc, and 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 then we'll see what this book is gonna be. I don't need to see them. I, you know, they're gonna show Diane's or Diana's uh, origin now next month, and well, like we said last time, we 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 just saw this like in five different books. And done really well too. Done really well, like Gre- like yeah. That's not to knock uh, Greg Rucka's year one at all, because that's a great story. But but holy cow, we're gonna see it again, <laughs> like with some of the details wrong. I guess I don't. I, I just don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I think man's art's a little bit overwrought in places. But I think overall, he does a really nice job with this issue. And uh, there's just not much to work with on, from a plot perspective. So, 
you know. Anyway, that brings us to... Let's talk about this, because this is still a new enough book. Um, Pole Pirate and Pulp, where where do we find ourselves right now? On Trinity? Yeah. I think I'm still at Pirate. I think I am, too, even though against all my better instincts. (laughs) Uh, I'd be interested to see what issue five looks like. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say Pulp. I'll say pulp, and I'll say I wish Trinity Number One was just like a one shot or something. How <laughs> great would it have been if that was DC Universe Rebirth? That... Or even just like a one of the stories in it. Yeah. Too, you know. Yeah. Or if that was like Justice League Rebirth, you know, if they, if they. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. All, All right. right. That brings us to uh, Aquaman Number Eleven. Written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Philippe Briones. Uh, I'm continuing to really enjoy Aquaman. Oh yeah, it's still really good. Yeah, this was really. I I feel like. I feel like man, Abnett is really he's really created this world, and now he's like knocking over all these dominoes that he set up. Yeah. Like ne like Nemo setting up false flags, uh, <laughs> like and every time. Every time Aquaman like foils one of them, there's another one right around the corner, you yep. know. And uh, and I think Briones is he really stepped his game up too. Yeah, this issue um, looked beautiful. It did. I want to call attention like it. This was the first issue that made me uh, not pine for Brad Walker, and that's not to say that that they hadn't done a good job with art earlier. It's just this was the first issue that was special enough to be like this can stand on its own. And I want to call attention to the page where Mira first arrives uh, in the in this particular issue. It's like a it's like a one page spread, mm-hmm. and there's like all these people standing around, and she's kind of in the middle of this crowd. No comment, or whatever she says. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a gorgeous page. Like that's that's the best page I've ever seen him do. Um, I that that really blew me away when I saw that. Yeah, it's just really good, and and the Justice League shows up to f- visit Arthur in the hospital. Like, uh, again, that's been a hallmark of Rebirth that they're just that they're friends and they're there for one another. <laughs> they care about each other. Yeah, they they care about one another in ways that extend to like just visiting one of them at the hot. You know, I feel like during uh, during the New Fifty Two, it was mostly like, okay, the Justice League is together, but it's because they're constantly having to solve some sort of problem yeah whereas in rebirth it's been 50 50 they're solving problems or they're just hanging out and they're there for one another i feel like in the justice league book they're they're the same justice league we've seen in the last few years but when they've appeared in other books other than the title justice league they've been great yeah which is part of the problem with the justice league book but that's a whole other story that's right, but even in that book, they're like... Oh, they care. Yeah, they take, yeah. A, they take a little bit of time out for, like, Barry trying to take Jessica on a date. Right, you know? right, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is something that was also missing. But I, but I understand your point. Like, from a personality standpoint, they do feel like a very down-to-business Justice League. Yeah. 
All right, that brings us to Cyborg number five, written by John Semper Jr., illustrated by Alan Jefferson and Derek. Uh, can't remember handwriting here. Derek Donovan. Derek Donovan, thank you. I think I said Domamon. Because <laughs> I Domin- Domino Man. Domino Man, exactly. Um, so this book has the most jarring art transition of all time in it. Yeah. Like I understand that sometimes you need two artists on a book. I'm aware of that. <laughs> But the jarring nature of this art switch is, I mean, stunning. Mm-hmm. And not, yeah, it, and just, yeah, it was bad. It, go, it goes from, like, itchy and scratchy to worker and parasite. <laughs> <laughs> well played. What the hell was that? <laughs> That's what I said when I finished reading this comic. Exactly. Uh, Zach, did you read this or did you Wilkerson it? I Wilkerson this real hard. Okay. <laughs> The first half of the book was not bad. It looks pretty. The first half looks <coughs> good. Um, a lot of it is very stereotypical, like, um, you know, you are from here, but you do not know here. Uh, yeah. There's there's a blind gentleman who we met at the, at the jazz club in Wait. issue one, and he's walking with Vic through the streets. And essentially narrating to him about what Detroit is, and Vic is revealing himself to not be aware of that at all. And you know that was that was fine. It's a little I, bit cliche. It's a little cliche, but that is when the book is at its best. It's it's actually got a modicum of heart. Yeah. That I can appreciate. Yeah, and it's sure. it's trying to say something about where he's from. Mm-hmm. It's trying to create the fact that he's from Detroit, making that matter to the character. Right. You know, so many of these characters, be, especially be, if you're from an invented city, Opal City, Metropolis, whatever, it's hard to distinguish sort of the values and the tones of those cities because they're not real. But Detroit's a real place, and it's a place that's had a lot of hard times. And to make Vic from there and to really make it matter, I think that's a smart decision. I think that's good. But then the book switches artists and switches vocal points to where basically the government's like, hey, Dr. Stone, you have to do the cyborg. Th- you know that thing that fucked up your life forever because you feel so much guilt over making your son into a machine? We're going to have you do that all over again. Now, granted, it's not really Silas Stone, but it's just it's a terrible, terrible sequence at the end of the book for a yeah. lot of reasons. It's It goes from, from a perfectly crumpulent book <laughs> to... What the hell was that? Pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, my my thoughts exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, by the way, Vince, you weren't on the show last week, but I told Zach it might have been off the air. I told Zach that you made me feel so guilty about Wilkerson those books. I went back and read them. <laughs> Which ones? I... It was Green Lanterns and Cyborg. Oh, what did you think of Green Lanterns? The last one. Yeah. Wow. Um, sad <laughs> trombone noise. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. All I, right. We'll, we'll get to Green Lanterns 11 in just a second, but first we have Green Arrow number 11. Um, this is, again, written by Ben Percy with art by Juan Ferreira. Um, I'm going to quote myself from two weeks ago. I like every issue of this book. I don't love any of them. And yeah. I think that pretty much sums up my feelings on this issue. It's it's good. It's fine. Yeah, this is this is a fun issue. I I like enjoyed this issue. Yeah, it was very much um 
But like, like we're back in Seattle. Let's rally the team. It was fun. H- Hillary Clinton was in it. Yes, which depressed me. <laughs> um. Yeah. I wonder how quickly they tried to make that into an orange goblin, but it was too close to print to uh to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, th- th- this is a fun comic. I like that it's not just a Green Arrow comic. I like that it's a Green Arrow, Black Canary, and Diggle comic. Um. Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah. Perfectly crumpulent. Perfectly crumpulent. All right, that brings us to Green Lanterns number 11, written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by Robson Roca. Oh, boy, was it illustrated by Robson Roca. <laughs> yeah, this this uh, this continues kinda... to... What? Oh. Go for I, it. I, I was just going to interject and say that I kind of like this issue. It's... I liked one part of it a lot, but talk to me first about Zach, why you liked it. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you why. I can tell you why I kind of like it. Um, I didn't like the issue, but I kind of liked it a little more than we have been liking this book. And I think the I think the reason why is because. And this is true of Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, too, because I think recently we've talked about that um, as getting a little bit better. Um, And I think it's because... You've eaten this shit long enough that it starts to taste normal? No. (laughs) No. I, I I think finally, just now, we're getting past them setting up who Simon and who Jessica are again. And who all these Green Lantern Corps members are, and they're finally getting into some of that extended Green Lantern lore that we've sort of that they've kind of dropped for a little while, and we've been waiting for them to get back to, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not good. Like, there's a lot about this comic that's that's really bad and makes you cringe, but they're they're starting to push out the lore into the, these places that. I've kind of wanted them to go. And that includes like bringing back all the different colors and exploring what they all do. And, um, you know, they're kind of doing that over in, in, in Hal Jordan. And now they're starting to do that here with this phantom ring, which is a completely other bit of lore they've invented now, but, but it's, you know, we're going to see how this Frank Leminski deals with that and there's something about it that I was skeptical of at first and now I'm kind of enjoying seeing them push towards so uh, that that's why I am kind of liking it more yeah <laughs> I don't think I think, good. I, think I, I can tell you why I like this issue a little bit more um, just flipping through it it kind of reminded me um, I feel like Humphreys is doing has maybe kind of like settled in a little bit. He does like a few cool things in this. Like I like um, that Jessica's ring is like starting to become a character because she like talks to it. Yeah. 
I thought that was fun. Um, I thought he had a great. I loved that Batman line in the middle of the comic. Oh, see, that was me and Millie's favorite part of it. Really? Yeah. I thought it was just like a funny little jab at like current events. Refresh my memory on that one, Zach. Um, well, like Baz is getting into an argument with Frank in front of the the, the reporter crew people, um, and Batman it like cuts to Batman in the Batcave watching, and he says, "Baz, never argue with a fool. Onlookers may not be able to tell the difference, especially on television." Oh, <laughs> yeah. Which I, I thought was just you know a funny little. I just felt like there was. I just felt like the, it didn't add anything to the story at all. I mean, it didn't, but I thought it was funny still. Um, and just, I don't know, I, I thought the art in this issue was overall, um, pretty solid. Um, I know Vince's favorite panel has a lot of really goofy facial expressions, <laughs> um, but which I thought maybe it, it was a little over the top, but I also thought it kind of like served the character a little bit. Yeah. There's that one that looks like he's <laughs> ejaculating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's nutting. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and also like the phantom ring thing doesn't bother me as much as it did at first. No, Um, I kind of, I kind of like it now. Yeah, I do too. I will give the most tacit of compliments here. This is the first time that this book had to be a Green Lantern book. Like, the action happening in it could only be happening in a book in the Green Lantern mythos. So much of the early part of this book, like, it didn't matter. There was nothing about being a Green Lantern that mattered. Uh This has the different colors and all that. And I liked... I liked the idea of a little kid not knowing the difference between a hero and a villain. Like, that little kid, like, because because he saved him... He was a hero to him. And I wish that the book let that be more of a slow burn. Like, it would have been cool to see Frank do a couple things and maybe slowly start to crack a little bit. But this is like he does one good thing and then he's evil in five seconds. Yeah, yeah, like actually make him into more of a complex. Yeah, yeah. I feel, okay, I'm glad you said that. Because remember how much I hated his, like, origin issue? Yeah. I, I, I feel that i felt that way because of what you're talking about very seldom during that issue if even at all did i ever think like oh this is a guy that maybe deserves to be a hero like maybe he's a little complex no he seemed like an asshole the entire time right (laughs) like he just seemed like he was in it for all the wrong reasons 100 percent of the time and I feel like if there was a little bit like, well, maybe maybe he is capable of something good, you know, but then he's in over his head and then he becomes pissed off. And, it, you know, if there's a little more nuance to it. But we're talking about a comic book where people put on spandex and are space cops that shoot green lasers. No, but, their suits are made from light bits. Uh, that's, that's right. But what, <laughs> what what's especially galling about this to me is that because of the twice monthly shipping, they could have spread this out. Sure. Like, like the, there's no reason to not make him. Like, how much more interesting of a first arc would it be if Green Lanterns started with the Phantom Ring? 
I was gonna say I think this would have been a much better starting arc, especially because they could have played on the whole, um, you know, the beat of Simon and Jessica being rookies and being unsure of themselves and and really highlighting what it means to be a lantern. Yeah. It would have been like a perfect dichotomy between the two sides. I honestly like don't know why this wasn't the first arc. Because Red Lanterns sell books, man. Oh man. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. Was there was there a single person that when uh, Sam Humphreys was at that DC Rebirth panel, and he was like, "The first arc is going to be." Red Dawn or whatever. Was there anyone that didn't groan about <laughs> having to read more Atrocitus? Uh, Sam Humphreys. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right, that brings us to Justice League number nine, written by Brian Hitch, illustrated by Neil Edwards. Um, I don't have much to say about this book. It's it's okay. I uh, I don't I don't even know if I think it's okay anymore. I kind of think it's a waste of what should be a flagship title. Yeah, it's kind of like what Avengers was before Bendis took over. <laughs> you know, like back in the the like late nineties. Yeah, yeah. Like after, I guess after um, the who who had who had like the last was it Kurt Kurt Busiek Kurt Busiek yeah who had the last big run before it just kind of like meandered for a while something like that yeah yeah i know our buddy uh uh didn't didn't scott labdell write some of that or was it bob uh, bob harris jeff johns did it a few arcs i don't yeah, think it was jeff... i don't think it was bob harris okay yeah jeff johns did some um yeah he had he had the the adam performing oral sex on his wife <laughs> In one issue. Wait, no, no, we're, we're, talk, we're talking about Avengers, not Justice League. What? What? Oh, not oh, the, not the, the Adam. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry, not the Adam. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ant Man. Oh, okay. Christ. Okay. You know that famous picture of, um, like Eric O'Grady and his wife going down on one another or whatever. I actually don't know it, but now I'm gonna Google it. <laughs> hang on, hang on. I have to do my my Stephen Colbert fake typing here. <laughs> Type in Ant Man Jeff Johns Oral. <laughs> that is, is actually the password to my eBay account. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, you're the guy that stiffed me on the NES Classic. <laughs> oh, I'm stiff, all right. <laughs> Here, I sent the picture to. You. I sent the link. <laughs> I'm not gonna look at it until after the podcast, so well. I, I I don't want the sound of my audible vomiting on the podcast. Um, <laughs> now you know th- this is this is a uh, this is not great. It's okay. No, it's not. Basically, a Silicon Valley uh, nerd is taking down the Justice League right now. While being a shitty dad at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about no nuance. (laughs) Oh, man. It's, uh... Yeah. Guys, I'm starting to think that maybe technology is bad. Yeah. It might be. It might might not be the... uh... The panacea we all thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, you know, I'm going to talk about something at the end of the show that is going to relate to this. 
Um, actually, fuck it. I'll talk about it now. Uh, so I just, we do this thing on Multiversity called Evergreen Reviews, where we look back at an older book. And the one I did today was for the Legends miniseries from 87, 86, 87. And uh, in the book, they essentially quietly dispose of the Justice League of America by having a building fall on them. I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> there, there's more in sort of the tie-ins there, but essentially the building falls on them. They lose confidence and the book's done. And then they rebuild the Justice League, and they build it from the characters that were important parts of Legends. So Captain Marvel, Black Canary, Blue Beetle... Batman, Martian Manhunter, that's kind of, and Dr. Fate. It's kind of the core of the team. More come in later, but that's sort of the core of the team. And I was just thinking about how like that team had a real purpose. And that team didn't feel like... This book, to me, feels like DC is trying to create a comic based on the action scenes from the Avengers movie. Like, everything is huge and happening all the time, but there's no reason for it to be happening all the time. There's, uh... Every, like, the fact that the Batcave was destroyed just feels so over-the-top. Um, the Watchtower, like... The Watchtower falling like, out of the sky, yeah. yeah. And then the fact that they essentially... Um, that both Baz and Cyborg have, like, the virus eliminated from them the exact same way. Like, Cyborg's is overwhelmed with electricity... Baz's to reset yourself. Baz's is attack it with deadly force so it resets itself. Just just lazy comics book writing. Um, yeah, not great. Made me really miss the Bwahaha Justice League. <laughs> uh, finally, this week we have Suicide Squad number six, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Jim Lee and Carlos De Anda. Guys, this is this is just uh, this is just trash. Yeah, I will say I, I I like the idea of Harley Quinn. Like, yes, that was the one clever bit there. Yeah, um, something's happening to make everybody insane because she's already so insane it turns her back to normal. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think that's a a decent idea for a Suicide Squad arc involving Harley Quinn. But yeah, everything else. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's just it's just it's just characters screaming at one another one hundred percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, and it, uh, it's bad. I do, and like as far as the backups go, I like that we're not getting Jim Lee art for a few pages. Um. <laughs> And I don't mind the idea of giving these characters some sort of depth to them that we talked about before. But my problem here is that all these characters have all these tragic backstories. And to me, what always made the Suicide Squad great is that they were actual villains on the team. Like, they were, there were some bad people. Captain Boomerang was a shitty person. And there was no, like, attempt to, re- to like, you know, reclaim him for good. Why does Killer Croc need to have such a sad backstory? Why? What does that do for the character? Does that benefit anything by making it, uh, by making him more sympathetic? Like, really? No. Just a waste of paper. I, uh, yes. And, and can I just say, like, 
I'm also tired of these um, sort of one-shot stories that every... And, and I'm going to say the same thing when when the JLA ones come come along with Steve Orlando, you know? Uh-huh. Except, except that I think those are going to have good creative teams and characters that maybe have stories that we haven't heard a million times before. Right. But I feel like there's been so many, like, one-off Captain Boomerang origins or, like, a one-off Killer Croc. Like, I feel like Villains Month handled all this you know like villains month gave us a killer croc story we don't need another killer croc he's not that complicated yeah you know just put him on the team make him like an interesting part of this team and make it feel like suicide squad again and are you saying you want to make suicide squad great again not saying those words at all um no (laughs) Okay. Well, folks, that does it for this installment of the DC3 cast. We uh, wish you guys all a happy Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S. And if you're not in the U.S., uh, you're welcome. Because uh, it's going to be looking bleak around here, guys. Um, But anyway, you can, uh, of course, go to multiversitycomics.com. We are starting to get preparations made for our year in review. So uh, look out for a lot of great stuff coming in the next month or so. And um, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at BJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And it's, it's, it's very complicated right now, you guys. And I'm <laughs> SirFox89. And I am fairly uncomplicated right now. <laughs> <laughs> well... We'll be back next week with more DC3Cast, and until next time, uh, enjoy! Enjoy!